Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day in a still rather deserted city of Westminster in these times of COVID-19, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Sarah Tate. Sarah is the CEO of TBWA London, an advertising agency which forms part of the Omnicom Group and has disruption at the heart of its work. Sarah, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you um, on the air with us. Thank you ever so much for your time. Absolute pleasure and thank you for inviting me on, Scott. It's um, an absolute pleasure having you um, as well, Sarah. And the purpose of this discussion is to really establish your take on the topic of leadership. So if we just look at that word leader in isolation, first and foremost, what does that word actually mean to you and how does it resonate? I've been thinking about this and and actually I think um, for me, it really means creating a culture and an environment where other people within the company can come to do their best work. Um, TPWA, we're a talent driven business. So we are, we're in the creative industries. Like you said, we're a creative uh, and advertising agency. And, um, you know, people are our biggest asset. People, uh, clients come to us for our ingenuity, our innovation and our, and our creative ideas. So people and their ability to, uh, to bring their best thinking and their best ideas to, to work and to the table is absolutely crucial to helping our clients. So, so for us, it's definitely about that. You know, we're, we are a talent led business, but actually I think it's probably nowadays, I would say true of, true of almost all businesses, even tech businesses and and manufacturing businesses, more and more you see that businesses understand that people are such a a valued part of their success and that actually having uh, talent, the right diverse talent in place who are motivated, who are trained and, and, and most importantly have access to opportunities is the thing that can really, really make a difference. So as a leader, focusing on creating that environment where talent can do their best work is, I think, probably for me, the most important definition of leadership. Mm. And do you think that that talent is something that people are born with or do you think that it's something that can be developed throughout one's career as one goes on that journey to becoming an effective leader? Um, um, It's interesting. I I remember... uh, reading a long time ago that you know talent (laughs) you know the ability to do brilliantly and work is I think 25% the skills that you have 25% the opportunities that you're given and 50% the sort of discretionary you know energy and and motivation that you Mm. that you bring to the role so I think to be honest you know trying to understand and, and motivate a talent pool is less about learning kind of technical operational models and operational theory as you go through your career path. And it's a lot more about uh, understanding people, tapping into human qualities, learning how to listen and learning how to learn from the, you know, from all the talent that exists within the business. So I think it it can be, um, it's a skill that can be nurtured as you go through it, certainly a muscle that can be developed as you as you get more senior but I don't think it's a kind of technical skill you can learn out of a book. Mm. completely understand uh, where you're uh, coming from from that point of view, uh, Sarah, for sure. And you mentioned, of course, of the importance of considering people um, within leadership. Um, even though leadership and management may fundamentally be different things, there is an element of people management within leadership as well. It's a hugely important aspect, keeping people motivated and nurturing the best out of them. But also you have to pick the people you surround yourself with carefully as a leader as well, don't you? Because it's also about them getting the best out of you in a vice versa manner. 
Well, and very much so. Um, you know, I think I was always told hire people that are, you know, scarily better at their jobs than you are, which I have always tried to do. You know, surround yourself with a team who are mm. absolutely brilliant and make you better. But I think also, you know, and we've seen it recently with the really important Black Lives Matter campaigning in the UK and the US, it's also really important to surround yourself with a with a team that's diverse, a team that doesn't look like you. Particularly in our industry, you know, we represent, um, you know, we put out images that represent and influence the whole of the whole of Great Britain. And, and therefore, we need to ensure that we have a talent base that is diverse. And, and we're always trying to do more on that. But also creativity in and of itself and getting to great creative ideas comes from having a real mix of different viewpoints. So it is important to make sure that you don't just hire in your image and you don't look around your office and see a bunch of people who look just like you. You need people from, from all different uh, backgrounds and skill sets, introverts, extroverts, you know, all different you know, neurodiversity, ethnic diversity in order to get a, a much better uh, creative set of solutions on the table. Mm. While we're on that topic um, as well, Sarah, uh, Nelson Mandela himself once said, surround yourself with people who are better than you. And that's exactly what it seems that you're uh, looking to do um, in that uh, side of things, uh, for sure. It's well, hugely if it, important. If it's, good, if it's good enough for Nelson Mandela, it's definitely more than good enough for me. Mm, exactly. And uh, while we're, of course, uh, mentioning names such as Nelson Mandela, could you tell me, Sarah, perhaps some of the um, the major influences that have had a profound impact on you throughout your career and maybe helped develop your leadership style? interesting being being a woman in leadership because I've been in the industry probably 23 years and um, there were some but not many so certainly not uh, 50% of the leaders I worked into were women um, so in some ways I've learned as much from how not to lead as I have how to lead but there have been some uh, you know some wonderful people Dame Silla Snowball is someone who I always have in my mind if I'm if I'm looking for a sort of north star to anchor on in terms of how I should be showing up. Scylla uh, Snowball, as she was at the time, now Dame, uh, was head of UK's largest advertising agency, AMV, now AMV BBDO, and I started there sort of 23 years ago. She ran the agency, and she was both incredibly thoughtful and kind, but also amazingly intelligent and determined. I remember at the time her being called up to the House of Lords to give evidence on a uh, on a variety of things and we questioned them. I just thought, wow, you know, this incredible strong woman who who knew her business, who who knew her sector. And yet she always had time for me. She'd always say hello. You know, I was one of hundreds and hundreds of people in that building. Um, and she's always had time for me ever since. So I've always kind of looked to her as someone who I think has shown up in a really in a really human but deeply effective way. I certainly do agree with the point that you mentioned um, earlier there, Sarah, about um, the lack of female representation in some industries. That is an issue that hopefully we don't lose sight of as we move through this pandemic and beyond. But it's a fantastic example um, as well there of somebody who has a profound impact on somebody else and is essentially a mentor business sort of figure because people close to us in that sense whether it be colleagues friends family they can be some of the most influential leaders out there can't they and sometimes i think that there may be a lack of recognition for such figures given that we do tend to associate leadership with politics for example and being in the public eye would you agree with that sarah do you think that maybe we don't recognize good leadership in the business world perhaps as much as we should do it's a really interesting question. I, I think we maybe recognize certain types of leadership. You know, I talked to 
um, women I know who sit on boards, PLC boards and FTSE boards. And, you know, there's an acknowledgement that there's a certain image of a leader and often that can be quite masculine, but also it's a style of leadership. And I think it's probably what they used to call hero leadership, you know, a single figure battling it out, you know, plowing ahead with everyone following behind and there's a certain stance and a certain aura around it and it's quite I think it's quite old fashioned and quite outdated and there's lots written now on the move towards what they call host leadership which is less about this kind of totemic hero figure carving the way for everyone else and much more about a leader who has, may have a variety of different personality traits that don't necessarily fit that mold but also their role is very much to host the talent within that company to help you know nurture a culture and guide that company towards towards greatness and I, I, so I wonder if it's um we don't always see we have a certain uh, a certain blueprint for what we think leadership characteristics look like, and actually, effective leadership characteristics can often, often nowadays, take many different shapes and sizes. Mm. I agree in the sense that leadership does have very many different faces uh, for sure. And the other point to take away from that is that we are moving away from that sort of lone wolf type of leadership because we're seeing people much more willing to collaborate, have teams of leaders, people who are willing to look at literature from the likes of Richard Branson, for example, and other inspiring leaders out there and essentially be willing to learn. That's hugely important, just recognising that one isn't alone in a leadership position and that they do have the opportunity to learn because learning, especially from setbacks as well, is one of the key ways in which we can hope to develop, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've seen through this pandemic as well, collaboration coming out in unusual places, you know, the the ability to make allies, to share ideas, to to build, maybe forge alliances between different companies and leaders certainly is is a way through this, is a way to be able to innovate quickly, as opposed to remaining in fiefdoms and being quite protectionist about things. Mm. There are some positives to take away from this tragic period of COVID-19 in the sense that it has forced the hand of business to innovate, um, hasn't it? And um, it will also breed resilience in those businesses that do get through this and survive. And alongside that, there have also been some incredible stories of employees, people on the front line, for example, who've really gone above and beyond during this period, pushed the boundaries, gone out of their comfort zones just to keep things ticking over and keep people safe and also work for the benefit of their communities as well. I assume that yeah. in the case of TBWA as well, Sarah, that you've been inspired just as much by the response from your staff as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, it has been incredible. We are, a, like I said, we're a people business, we're a relationship business, and then suddenly we're, you know, we're all in our homes. Um, so it's been, you know, it's been very unusual. I've, I've been overwhelmed and sometimes actually brought to tears by the level of, of kindness and and, uh, and energy shown and shared by people within the team, you know, checking in on people, speaking to people, ensuring that uh, that people are still well, providing you know, providing them with support, and also similarly, that you know, the energy and support shown by our clients. And I think it, it really goes to show that um, if you can build a strong a strong partnership, even a business partnership with a client that level of trust and loyalty will see you through the hardest times. And I think we will see that, you know, we're able to work together with those clients. Like Clavis is one of them, an incredible client who owns Bitties, um, really work together with them to mm. come out of the crisis stronger because of the basis of the, the trust and the strong relationship we went into this with. 
Mm. I think that's absolutely right um, as well. And also that renewed focus on mental health and well-being, that's something that hopefully we don't lose sight of as we do move through this as well. And just focusing on the future for a moment, Sarah, before we do mm. wrap things up on the year, uh, the programme, what do you envision the next uh, year or so holding for yourself and for TBWA? And what do you hope to achieve in firstly getting through this situation, but also when we begin to really look mm. to the future? Well, like you said at the start, you know, TBWA is known as a disruption company. And whilst we think of disruption being very negative, um, actually, we are a believer in that great creative thinking can generate positive disruptions. And so by that, I mean, you know, big, surprising leaps of progress that come from thinking creatively and inventing and innovating um, and, and actually often abandoning old conventions that have kind of held us back. Mm. We apply that kind of thinking to our clients, but also I think it will help us out of this time. So, you know, things like restrictions around beliefs, uh, maybe old conventions around when flexible working did and didn't work and work from home and that kind of thing. Um, actually, I think we'll junk some of the old conventions and we'll all collectively find that we'll, we should make a lot of new and exciting progress in terms of creating more flexible and diverse workplaces. You know, and also for some of our clients, you know, we see people moving um, big accelerations in digital, big accelerations in clients thinking sustainably, thinking in a more green way. So as well as, you know, uh, on the back of this negative disruption, we are hoping that we will also see some positive disruptions and some 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 good leaps forward in terms of positive progress. Let's certainly hope so. And um, I think as we start to understand what this new normal will look like and really see the progress that's made over the uh, the next year or more, I think it would be fantastic, Sarah, given how informative it's been today to actually catch up and have you back on the programme just to talk about that and just to see how the uh, the business is getting on along as well. Yes, I would. I would love to. Who knows where we'll all be in six months' time? Let's see how our plans have evolved. But yes, I'd love to come back and talk about how the disruption company has helped our clients get through this unusually disruptive phase. I think it would be incredibly informative uh, from a listener's perspective, just as much as uh, today has, uh, Sarah, for sure. Thank you ever so much, Jim, of course, for taking the time to join us today. It's been a real pleasure. And most importantly, do take care and do stay safe with everything still going on, because, of course, we're not quite out of the woods with this yet. No, no, you too. And to all the listeners as well. Thank you. Absolutely. And for those tuning in, do stay home where you can, do control the virus and do save lives because it really does make a huge difference. That was Sarah Tate speaking, the CEO of TBWA London. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition following his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff and that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex 
uh, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, well, I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came 
and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. 
And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out now. Mm. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard nosed professional uh, top quality people, and that was again the leadership that I'll show you, you got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who 
who asked the question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it, it, uh, um, it did make again, laugh if that put, day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck that's absolutely leadership he'd be the best example of course in in football terms today Uh, easily easily and of course but going back not that long ago Alex Ferguson who's just absolutely Mm. 
you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, hmm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> The straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later. Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about. Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, the, um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was. A big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great and players. It, we have some great players, of course, but without the attitude uh, alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single minded. Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, 
um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.